But for all of us collectively, the first and greatest commandment is Okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like it. We are to love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. It's easy to pretend that we're loving God and loving our neighbor, but to actually love him, well, that takes, that takes finding out what the Lord wants from us. To truly love God and to truly love our neighbor It'll often go against the things that we want to be doing. It's impossible to serve God and others if we're serving, number one, if we're serving ourselves. And in light of this chapter, one of the best ways we can love God and others is to acknowledge our sins before Him, to be honest about Him, to stop pretending that I'm holier than those around me. Come to God and confess your sins to Him. And He gives the promise of His Holy Spirit that He'll lead us in greater obedience to Christ. It's easy to deceive ourselves into believing, well, at least we're not as bad as... Kind of like the scribes and Pharisees. Many people saw the religious leaders as so pious, so upright, they, they at least seemed to hold themselves together really well. But our King Jesus has a message here in this chapter. He did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And those who are wisest and most well-read in Scripture in this room understand. Those who are godlier and have greater knowledge of Christ are the ones who say, yep, I'm the man. I have committed those sins. And you know what? I'm worse than you even know. You wouldn't believe the sin that I carried with me through 2022. But I'll tell you, it was a big, stinking mess of sin. But thank God that Jesus came knowing that we were sick with sin. I'm thankful because a sinner describes who I am perfectly. Speaking of the older and godlier and wiser, not too long ago, there's a man I really adore and love. He's old and wise, and I told him that I idolized him. He's confessing. You know what he responded to me? Without hesitating, idolize me? Don't do that. I'm the most wicked sinner in this place. Now that's a man... He's aware of his sickness. He's aware of his condition. So taking him at his words, he's aware that he needs the great physician. He knows that I'm setting my sights too low. It's easy. We all, we're all tempted to hero worship. Or we have father hunger. But he was directing me to Christ. He was directing me to the Lord. Because sin is tricky. We get crafty and we devise new ways of concealing and hiding our sins. Don't be crafty. Don't be tricky. Our hearts are deceptive. And when addressed with your sin, whether it's loving, loved ones who are addressing you or as you read God's Word, honesty is always the best policy. 
especially when dealing with our sins. We're all tempted to idolize our heroes to some extent for good reason. You look up to them. The older among us here, they should be our example of what it means to repent away from sin and to turn in faith to Christ. There have been times when my kids have said, Dad, you're the best dad in the whole world. It's encouraging. But sometimes, probably more often than not, when my kids say that, they're kind of like daggers to me as well. I often just smile and say, I wish, kids. I wish I was. No, Dad, but you really are. Often I'll just feel like George Bailey at the end of It's a Wonderful Life. The crushing weight of his sin. This cruel world is coming down on his shoulders. How does Jesus help us when we're tempted like that to despair. Notice at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus came back into Capernaum and immediately everyone is coming to Jesus. He's the one with the answers. They had heard of and found the one who could actually heal them and so they came to Him by the crowds. And what was Jesus doing in the house? So back to our chapter, chapter 2. What does it say Jesus was doing in the house? At the end of verse 2, what does it say? It says that He was speaking the Word to them. How many times in life you just simply don't know what to do? feel like you're spinning your wheels. You need direction. What does the Word of the Lord say? We're suffering and poor and ignorant. And we're more so if we don't know God's Word. There's a nice crocheted sign I saw in someone's office here. Life is hard. And it's harder when you're stupid. Well, life is hard when we're ignorant of what God's Word says. When we wake up, what is it that we want to do? We are creatures of habit. And habits are hard to break. And habits are also hard to begin as well. So be in the habit of prayer and reading God's Word. In this church, we are disciplined about reading God's Word. It's, we know it's essential for us. We cannot know the Lord if we don't know His revealed Word to us. And so you often see in Scripture that physical and spiritual health and illness, they very often go hand in hand. Notice this paralytic. How often we take our health for granted too. But then if we're in physical need, that's when we cry out for help. You have back pain, neck pain. Often, we as a church will send out a prayer request, please pray. You open it up. Normally it doesn't say, please pray. I had a full eight hours of sleep last night. I feel great. I'm encouraged. This is the best day of my life. Not normally the prayer requests we get. Someone is in need. The Lord brings us those reminders so that we will cry out to Him. Imagine not being able to walk at all. 
You can stay seated there. But imagine, after service, you need to be carried up on out of here, carried to your vehicle, carried to the restroom. I used to caregive for a man with cerebral palsy. And the things we take for granted, like picking yourself up and going to the bathroom, and using the bathroom with all the indignities, to use it alone in your privacy. Imagine now you can't walk. You can't go sit yourself down. You can't pick yourself up and move along. This paralyzed man, every detail of his life was humiliating. He depended on others to carry him and do everything for him. And so as soon as he heard that Jesus came back into town, this man was going to Jesus. Nothing was going to stop him. Not his paralyzed legs. And when he got to the house, not the crowds all surrounding Jesus. Not even the roof got in his way. I've heard this man can heal me, and so I want to be dropped down through the roof right where Jesus is. Now, what does Jesus observe with them? This paralyzed man and his friends. What does he say? It's very simple. Jesus saw there. What's that? Jesus saw their faith. His friends had faith. It was work carrying him across town. They had faith. All they had to do was bring him to Jesus. And Jesus would heal him from there. They had faith. They knew that if Jesus was willing, he would be healed. And what does Jesus say to him? Notice he doesn't say, initially, son, get up and walk. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. How tender of Jesus, son. Whether you've done well or bad, kids, isn't it so encouraging when dad comes along? Son, my daughter, I love you. Jesus says your sins are forgiven. And we often think in very temporal, practical ways. This man was paralyzed, he wants to walk. But what this man needs is what Jesus gives him, and that is for his sins to be forgiven. All of our problems, our pain and our suffering, one way or the other, it's a result and effect of our sin. Sin is the cause. Sin is the root that needs to be dealt with. Jesus could have merely made the man walk. His whole ministry, he didn't need to be preaching the Word. It could have just been one miracle after the other. But that wasn't the point here, was it? This paralyzed man wanted to walk, but he needed his sins forgiven. And in God's timing, in God's providence, that man had been kept paralyzed until this day, so that in the sight of everyone there, he was healed. How long had he sought to get better? The good Lord had allowed that man to suffer for a long, long time. 
suffering from the Lord's hand. And in our lives, we enjoy good and comfort and happiness, and we're thankful for those wonderful times. But in God's wisdom, He also sends us affliction and pain. What's the lesson to learn? This paralyzed man, he was closer to the kingdom of God than the self-righteous around him was. We pray and cry out when we're suffering. In this congregation, there are many with serious afflictions. Some of the afflictions come and go. Some are short-term, but some go on even for a lifetime. And the Lord knows what we actually need. And everyone here on this account, we need the same thing. We all need salvation and forgiveness from our Lord. And the Lord gives eyes of faith to His children. He removes the hard hearts and gives faith. But not so much for the cold-hearted, for those who don't think they need the Savior. So what do the scribes say in our passage? Why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, on the one hand, they're correct. Only God forgives sins. But, as the Pharisees typically did, they didn't understand Jesus, who He was, what He came for. Jesus proves His deity here in this passage. He's aware in His Spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves. He knows the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And of course, He does in fact forgive the sins of this paralyzed man. He knew the particular sins of this man and He was ready and able to forgive him. It's easy to see the man had, had problems. He had difficulties. He can't even walk. He can't even pick himself up. And it'd be easy to think either this man sinned or his parents or somebody sinned so that he's in this pitiful state. But what about the scribes and Pharisees? Can you see their sins as easily? I mean, they're getting up and walk around just fine. But were they in less need of the Savior than this paralyzed man, the center of all the hubbub? Let's remember who the scribes and Pharisees were. They were the elites. They knew the Scriptures. They copied and interpreted Scripture. They worked diligently to follow the law. Doesn't sound too bad for starters, right? I mean, memorizing God's Word, speaking and writing out God's Word. Friends, what's the danger for us here? We can do all of the memorizing of God's Word, speaking it, writing it out, but what we need, what this passage tells us, is we need faith. Faith in Christ. Young men and women, your dads and moms, they testify of their faith in Christ. You must have your faith in Christ. Boys and girls, this paralyzed man had faith and Christ tells him, that therefore his sins are forgiven. And the scribes, they didn't like that at all. Remember, the religious leaders, they had power. 
They wanted their respect and influence among the people. And Jesus was a great threat to all of that. Who does He think He is? He's hanging out with these dirty, wicked people, let alone the way He speaks, your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus asked them, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and pick up your pallet and walk? No one there other than Jesus can verify that the man's sins are forgiven, right? What they could see was that the man wasn't able to walk. His friends carried him there. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, Christ says. The beautiful thing about Christ, when He says something, you know that it's always true. When Christ declares that the paralyzed man's sins are forgiven, they are. And so that all around may see and know this authority that Christ has, this man gets up, picks up his pallet for everyone to see. And they were all marveling. They'd never seen anything like it. We continue to see the authority of Christ in this chapter. Along with forgiveness for sinners, the calling of Levi shows us the compassion of our Lord towards sinners. Levi, also known as, anyone know? Matthew. Very good. Where was, where was he sitting when Christ called him? He was sitting in the tax booth among the sinners, among the publicans. And I'll tell you what, as much as we don't like tax collectors today, they hated him even more then. They were not thought well of at all. Involved in many abuses, money-making schemes against the people, dishonest, corrupt, Levi, Matthew, did he deserve this kindness from the Lord? How undeserved God's kindness is to us. We surely don't deserve it. Think of where you were when Christ called you to Himself. You don't want to dwell too long on it. You don't want to navel gaze. And yet, it's good to remember what Christ has redeemed you from. Levi, Matthew, was working to gain the whole world and the treasures in the world. He was publicly known as a sinner, but he had his objective. And look at what Christ does in his life. Follow me. I didn't read any rebuttal from Levi. Christ speaks with authority and he follows. Look, friends, at what Christ has accomplished in you, the sins that He has saved you from. And think of what you've been protected and preserved from. Boys and girls, thank God that you're in a family that wants to protect you from the sins of this evil world. Jesus calls real sinners to Himself. And Levi shows us the correct response. Drop everything you're doing and follow Jesus. The Apostle Paul is the same way. He was called a Pharisee of Pharisees, zealous in his religion. And what did the Apostle Paul call himself? The chief of sinners. These are the types of people Jesus saves and uses in His kingdom. 
Not the proud, not the self-righteous, not the holier-than-thou judgmentals. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw that he was eating with these sinners and tax collectors, they couldn't take it. Because, although they were not actually righteous, they thought of themselves as such. They didn't know that they needed Christ's forgiveness. You don't go to the doctor when you're feeling well. If the world had been righteous, then we would not have needed Jesus to come and die for us. And that's the attitude of these religious leaders. They deceive themselves. Whereas the other people that we're reading about, the publicans and sinners, they know they're dead and dying under the weight of their sins. And now the one who has come to willingly forgive them. Very simply, the scribes and Pharisees, they think they've kept the form of the law. The tax collectors and sinners saw how awful and ugly their sin was. And that Christ offered them forgiveness. To confess our sins, friends, and here's where we'll close. To confess our sins is to say about them exactly what the Lord says about them. It's to come to Jesus and say, yes, it really is all that bad, my sin. Christ came to save sinners. The great physician knows our condition. He already knows how deceitful our hearts are. We really are without hope apart from Him. Imagine you have a terrible wound. The gangrene is set in. The sepsis is set in. It's a nasty picture. You can't simply put a bandage on it and pretend it to get better. You need real and serious medical attention. Now, imagine you were to go to the doctor in your awful condition and he says, Oh! That's disgusting. Get out of here with that. I don't want to see that. You don't expect that from the doctor. You go to get better. When faced with sins, ours and others, that's how often we react. But let's be more helpful. Remember when dealing with one another's sins. We're a family and we're going to face one another's sins. It's helpful to remember You're not Jesus. Only the great physician is the great physician. It's easy in families. We know the sins of our family members acutely well. It's easy to say, well, at least I'm not like that. I'm not like that troublemaker over there. Let's not spend our time this year looking down on others for their sins. Remember that the scribes and Pharisees sat in judgment on those who were closest to the kingdom of heaven. Don't waste time thinking about how you're better than others because compared with ourselves, that's not the benchmark, is it? Christ is the perfect benchmark. Compared with that, we all fall infinitely short. Thanks be to God for our great physician, Jesus Christ. All glory be to Him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give You glory. Thank You 
Thank You, Father, for our great physician. Thank You that we can come to Him and be honest about our sins. That we can truly love our brothers and sisters who, yes, we know are sinners and who need Christ just as much as we do. Father, I pray that we will be full of the love of You and our neighbor knowing what You have ransomed us from. You have ransomed us from hell. Forgiveness of sins we have in Christ our Lord and Savior. Father, give us Your Spirit. Lead us into greater knowledge of You, greater love for You all this year. Have mercy, Father. Send Your Spirit powerfully in and through us all. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.